Good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Welcome to Valley Community Church, and welcome to Thursday night service. Well, we are talking about taking ground, and this is the last segment in the series, and so I'm going to do my best to wrap this up in such a way as to really capture all the things that was on my heart to do. I really had two more weeks in this, but uh, we'll work that in later. But tonight, in week four, what I want to do is I want to talk about spiritual warfare, and what I called it Spiritual Warfare 101. So in other words, it's basically the essential things you need to know about how to fight a good fight and how to fight spiritually you know one thing that I think we all know about one another you know about yourself is you know we understand a good fight you know we, we fight in different ways but the Bible tells us that we fight differently and we've we've quoted this verse already but it, let's look at it again in 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world and that's important for us to understand because you've been hearing me talking about the good fight. You know, it's almost had a little underlying military feel regarding some of the things that we've been talking about in this spiritual warfare. And so I understand that, that maybe you can feel like, well, Pastor David, are you talking about us, you know, getting aggressive and being militaristic as a church? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about a fight that's totally different than what we're used to. And the Bible is telling us that we're not fighting a battle as the world fights. But, and we don't use their weapons. It says, on the contrary, the power, the weapons that we have, divine power, have divine power to demolish strongholds. And these are things that the enemy is setting up. So we, we're learning about fighting the good fight. We're, we're learning about a spiritual battle. But when we talk about fighting, the, what are, what are the, some of the weapons of the world? What, how does the world fight? Well, I kind of broke it up into four simple words. And that is, we fight with words, we fight with ways, we fight with wax, and we fight with weapons. And this is what we do. We fight with words. In other words, we can use evil, evil speech, and we can attack one another, and we can cut each other down, and we know that we can do that. We can fight with words. Matter of fact, all fights begin with words almost, doesn't it? And then wax, you know, you can get so frustrated, we start hitting on each other, smacking each other, fighting each other, punching each other. And then... There are um, ways, and we can use ways, and how do we use ways? We use ways like we can retaliate. We can try to trap one another. We can try to use you know, different things by just giving up or giving in and walking away, manipulating. We can do that. And then, of course, finally, there are weapons. And in this world, we see these four things happening. And of course, we can be drawn into this kind of warfare, and it's fleshy, it's, it's demonic. And when the enemy gets involved in it, and it, people's lives are at stake. So there can be blood, there can be bloodshed. But that's not the kind of warfare we're talking about at all, folks. We're talking about a fighting on another plane. And if we can learn how to fight and learn, and, that, and that's the thing that, I've, that, that I have discovered is that a lot of Christians just really don't know how to fight. And, and the reason why is because our theology determines our fighting philosophy what we know about God, what we know God has done, what we know about the church, things that I have talked about over the last three weeks to really empower you, to help you understand that you have what you need in, in, as a spiritual warrior to be able to fight. But as I have found and, and have communicated here that sometimes we just don't know that we can fight back. We feel overwhelmed by things that we see in the world. 
We, we feel overwhelmed by people's words, overwhelmed by the weapons of this world. And, and, but folks, we can get drawn into that. And you know what? You can fight that way, but it will make it far, far worse. And I think that people in our society today, they use the, the ways, the, the words, the wax and the weapons to try to get us to, to, to turn on one another. And, it, and it's, again, it's not going to end up well at all. So what do we need in this spiritual battle? Well, we need three essential things. And you know these things. So at least the first two. And they are this. We need the Word of God, don't we? We need the Word of God. Because it, it, when, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us that the Word of God is what? What is, what is the Word of God is in, in that list? It's the what? It's the sword. That's right. Sword of the Spirit. And so it's an offensive weapon, and God wants us to have the Word of God. And when we have the Word of God, we, can, we, we now have a weapon to be able to fight in this particular battle. And then we're given prayer, aren't we? So we have, we have the Word of God, but the Word of God is just a book. It's just words, unless we inculcate these words. We remember these words. We speak these words. We believe these words. And then, of course, we've been given prayer. And prayer is going to God. Prayer is asking God to come and to do amazing things and to fight on that plane. And then the third thing that we have that we've been given, folks, is worship. And that is the third one, and that's the one I want to talk about tonight. Last week, I mentioned that, you know what, that what I was going to talk about tonight was going to be the most powerful spiritual warfare understanding. And it's absolutely true. And you know what? I, what I have found is most Christians understand. I say, well, of course, the Word of God. Got to have the Word of God. And I think we have Word of God churches. I, I think we have churches that fo focus a lot on the memory and the understanding and the reading of the Word of God. And that's fine. Not taking away that. Matter of fact, we have to have it, right? And then there's a lot of us who understand about prayer. And we, maybe we can learn more about prayer. But we understand that prayer is important. But I think that we really miss out on the understanding of what worship does. And so tonight, I want to talk about worship as a spiritual warfare method and an understanding that, I, I tell you what, when you understand worship as it was intended to be and what it can do, I'm telling you, folks, you're going to unleash a tremendous, powerful force in your life. So let's talk about it tonight. First of all, I want to look at the Old Testament model just as a brush and to understand that in the Old Testament, we're given examples. Remember I talked about that. We've been given the Old Testament as a list of testimonies, as, as examples. And what you see in the, in the Old Testament is a lot of warfare, don't you? You see battles. You see conquest. You see, you see spiritual battles, but you see natural battles taking place. And what's really cool is that when you study those battles in the Old Testament, you will see that they are spiritual as much as they are physical. And there is so much that we can learn in the understanding of how these battles took place. But, but what, did, what did God teach the Israelites? Because that is the one thing that they were taught when they were taken out of Egypt. God brought them to himself and he said, now look, the first thing you have to understand to experience success in this world is listen to what I say and do exactly as I say. So God, it was almost like God brought his children together and, and trained them like children. He said, look, if you're going to win this war, and often they were literal battles, and, and he was, you know, especially coming into Canaan land, he, you know, he said, look, you do what I tell you to do, and you will be victorious. 
In fact, I was sharing with this with, with, with Ben today as we were talking about this, that a lot of times these battles were so amazing that, that the Israelites would not lose one soldier, not one person. And that, that, that never happens in modern warfare. You're going to have at least some casualties. But when, when they did exactly what God told them to do, when, when God spoke to Moses and how they prepared themselves and how they would fight, if they did exactly the way God told them to do it, they would have success. And in Joshua, the exact same way. He says, only be strong and courageous and do what I tell you to do. You will be successful. So one of the things that, that, that God said is that not only were they to listen, but they were to remain in unity. And unity was a very important thing. And of course, as a unit, as a, as a tribe, as a people, and as a family, and God divided them up, didn't he, into 12 different tribes. And, and in the camp, they actually camped in uh, those identities. They would camp in the different tribal, uh, uh, under a, a banner of tribe. And those tribes would move out uh, according to God's command. And so they would move out as they would go from encampment to encampment. God would say, okay, first thing that happens are the Levites. They bring the Ark of the Covenant, and it goes out first. And then, then will come Judah following in behind that, and every tribe would go as they would go from place to place. Now, you may just think, well, maybe that was just a random thing that God did. Not at all. In fact, what we find is that there was an absolute pur purpose in everything that God did. And that what he, and again, a picture of something I'm going to re reveal to you here in just a moment. But one of the things that God wanted them to see going out before them every time was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, why? Why was the Ark of the Covenant out there in front for them? Because it was to always remind them of what? Of the presence of God, of God's faithfulness to them. So when the Ark of the Covenant would go out of the cat, you know, they would be all in the pomp and the circumstance, circumstance of they, they would have, uh, the, everybody would look and they would be amazed in the cloud of God's presence. There, were, there was an amazing understanding and reminder that God was going first. So they knew that God had to come first. I mean, it was a physical, literal reminder that the presence of God was incredibly important to their success. Now, if we fast forward and uh, in, in, in every battle that they, they won, that was the case. Now, what was interesting, when Israel began to fall out of favor with God, one of the things that had happened was the Ark of the Covenant was captured and was taken away from them. And so they lost, and they wept, and they fell apart as a people because they knew how valuable the Ark of the Covenant was to them. Not as a weapon. So don't, don't think about Indiana Jones and, and how all that movie went down. It wasn't, about, it wasn't a weapon at all. It was a symbol. It was a reminder of the presence of God. Now remember that. Don't lose that, that thought. Because again, God is trying to show us symbolically, typically, of just why the presence of God is so incredibly important in being first and foremost in our life. So they carried that ark out into as they began to move forward. And then in time, what God said is, and as the Israelites began to develop, and once it came into Canaan land, every time they went into battle, there was one tribe that was important to go first every single time. Do you know which one that was? It was Judah. It says, send Judah first. Now, why would Judah go first other than whether he was the firstborn or not the firstborn? There was a reason why Judah went first, and I'm going to explain to you why. And that was because 
of what his name meant. Now, I'm going to read something to you right here out of, uh, out of ancienthebrew.org, and this is really cool, so check it out. This name, Judah, is pronounced uh, Yehuda in Hebrew. Most Hebrew dictionaries will define this word as praise. You probably knew that. Judah means praise. But as this English word is an abstract word, it falls far short of its true Hebraic meaning. The parent root of this word means hand. Several child roots are derived from this parent root, having the meaning of throw, including the child root, the root of Yahuda. The word Yahuda has the meaning of to throw your hands out. Okay, that's what it literally means, Judah. It means praise, but more literally it means to throw your hands out or up. If you're standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon for the first time, you might throw your hands out and say, wow, will you look at that? This is the Hebraic understanding of the word praise. So praise is not just something that, you will, that comes out of your mouth. Praise is an action. Judah is an absolute action. It means to praise God with exclamation. And so to send Judah first was, for, first of all, for them to recognize that the Ark of the Covenant went first, for them to recognize that God was first and foremost. But then closely behind that was the praise of God and to acknowledge that the presence of God, but to acknowledge that God is the ruler and reigner of all things and that nothing happens, no victory is achieved without God being acknowledged and recognized. That is important to understand, folks, when we, when we think about spiritual warfare and doing anything in God, acknowledging the presence of God, but, or in seeing the presence of God, knowing he's there, but responding to that in praise, in throwing our hands out saying, wow, God is my everything. Okay, we'll come back to that. So, Worship as a whole in the Old Testament is a recognition of God in the face of real life challenges. So they knew that this, this was a constant object lesson for them. That whenever they moved, whenever they had to do something like to go to Jericho, they would march around it seven times and they would have the Ark of the Covenant in front of them and they would be praising and they would be cheering God. They had an object lesson constantly to understand for them to, now catch this part, for them to experience success in every aspect of life, God can't, needed to come first. And God needed to be acknowledged vocally, physically. Now that's interesting. Isn't it Jesus who said there in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things would be added to you as well. See, this was absolutely built into the culture of God's people, to know that God was looking for us to acknowledge him. Now, now notice the parallel, that this was done whenever they prepared to war, okay? So when it, they would talk about the battle belongs to the Lord. So the whole concept in Numbers chapter 6, where you'll, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 10, Anytime they got into a battle, whenever they were preparing for a battle, the shout was this, send Judah first. Now, in the course of time, we have this young man who comes along, and he's 
a guy that you're familiar with. His name is David. And David runs with this at another level. David understands that the presence of God is important. David understands that acknowledging God is important. And what is neat is David himself is from the tribe of what? Of Judah. So David, as a young man, is walking up on a battle, a a, a tremendous battle situation where the Philistines are on one side and the armies of Israel on one side. And David, who is just a young boy, a young man, comes up on the battle situation and he sees that it's a stalemate and he realizes there's there's nothing going on. And, And here David, in his innocence, maybe even his ignorance, walks up and says, what's going on here? Why aren't we fighting? Why aren't aren't the armies of Israel victorious? And he looks out and they see what? Goliath come out. And Goliath is standing there and he's cursing the armies of God. And David can't stand it. Because David is a man of what? He's a man of worship. And it's really interesting that a man of Judah, a young man of Judah, has to come and represent the heart of God on that particular battlefield. And what does he do? He says, well, this isn't happening. He's going down. He comes out and he is cursing the people of God. He comes at me with a sword and shield and spear, but I'm coming at him in the name of the living God. And so it is so cool. We see the symbolic thing happening here. And this is all in David, so much so that when he becomes king, David says, look, I never want to fight, not one fight, without knowing the presence of God is with me. Now, That is incredibly important for us to understand that David taps into something that is almost, you know, way before his time. And David would always ask, where's the the ephod? Let's inquire of God. Shall we go up? Shall we fight? And David knew this, especially when he became king, that Judah would always go forth. He would put forth, what, the worshipers. And they would be worshiping the Lord, and they would they'd be playing their drums, and they would be singing songs unto God coming into battle. And you look at that, and you say, well, gosh, man, that, that seems a little silly. Why would you put all your worship? Those guys are going to get killed first. I mean, they're, they're not armed. But were they armed? Sure they were. Because here's the thing that David understood, and we need to all understand, is that the battle belongs to the Lord. That when you're fighting a spiritual battle, you go in with the weapons of this world, or you go in representing yourself, then you're going to only get what man gets. And you're going to fight one for one. But what they understood and what they were taught like children, if they were going to advance, if they were going to experience success, then they did not want to ever leave, not one foot forward, without the presence of God without knowing that God was with them and that God was going to fight their battles for them. David understood this completely. How would he ever go up against a nine-foot giant and in his head ever think that he would ever win the day except for this one reason, that God was there and that all he had was these five smooth stones? Did he think that those stones were going to actually kill a nine-foot man? No, he knew that it was going to be God who drove that stone into the forehead of that giant. He knew that it was God who gives him the strength. It was going to be God who would win the battle. 
Now, I want you to think about your life, and then we'll come back to this, but I want you to be thinking in terms of the battles that we are fighting today. And I'm even talking, even, even if it potentially has violence. The point is that God wants to teach us as his people, just like those Israelites, but with even more revelation, with more confidence. That, folks, he has our back. We are serving the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has already defeated Satan, and he's given us his name. And so here we are thinking in terms of fighting these things of life, this, this spiritual warfare. So why is praise so important? Because in praise, it gives us an opportunity to acknowledge God. It's no longer an Ark of the Covenant, but it's the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. We're not from the tribe of Judah, but we can, you know, Yahuda, we can throw our hands out and say, he is Lord. He is God. And what are we doing when we, when we do that? When we praise God, we are calling him in, folks. We are, we, we are, we are taking a step and saying, look, I'm not going to fight these things in this life. I'm not going to try to be the best man or woman I can be. I'm not going to try to go into this life at all without God going first and Judah going first and me taking the moment to acknowledge that. See, here's the problem, folks. We fight so many things in this world. We let ourselves get caught up in the carnality of the world. And we might get even drawn into the words, the ways, the wax, and the weapons. But that's not the way we're called to fight. If we're going to fight at all, it needs to know, we need to know that, look, this is not my real fight. This is God's fight. And that we have every expectation that God is going to be there and defend his word, defend his ways. And so how do we do that? How do we do that in a practical way? Well, just jumping ahead of myself here a little bit, folks, it comes with praising God. See, and, and so I, I don't know, maybe this is the first time you've heard something like this. It's, it's not unusual. For me, it is not. Matter of fact, for me, when I first came to Christ, I was taught the, the value of praise and worship as a very young man. The first church I went to, I was taught that worship was a weapon. Matter of fact, worship is a fulfillment of Paul's encouragement there in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we're, what, what, is our, what is our response to what Jesus did? Well, we're called to be living sacrifices. And how do we do that other than to give ourselves fully to God and then express that with worship? What was neat is I, I never had any teaching. I didn't really, I didn't grow up in the church. I had no, I didn't know that to be boisterous or to be quiet or to be reverent. I didn't have any of that. I didn't even know what the word reverent meant. All I knew is that when they'd start talking about, look, if you want to understand who God, if you want to, to rejoice in the presence of God, if you want to really enjoy him, then let him know that. And so we're not just talking about, so I'm trying to put two things together here. I'm talking about when we praise God, that of course is just an, 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 an a moment to acknowledge who God is. But folks, if you will put two, the two things together and realize that by acknowledging God and praising God, you're fighting a spiritual battle because you're calling in the presence of God. You are acknowledging God, and you're telling him, you're walking out into the field of battle to all the Goliaths that you might be facing. 
and, and, and not try to fight them on your own. Yeah, you've got your own five smooth stones. You've got whatever it is that you've got. But it's God who gets behind it and drives that thing home. And I'm telling you, when you open your mouth to sing, when you take that moment to, to Yahuda and throw out your hands and say, you are everything. I remember when I did it for the first time, I felt like, at first I was like, well, is everybody thinking that I'm doing, you know, what, what's going on? I thought it was, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. But when I realized it, was, it wasn't just me giving up, it was me giving over and calling him in and just saying, you are it, God. I praise you. I praise you. You're the one who's going to come into my life. You're going you're to be the one who is going to help me when I'm going to high school. Help me make the change from this life to the new one you have for me. You're going to be the one who helps me push through this, the struggles that I have in this world. So what I'm trying to tell you folks is when it comes to spiritual warfare, you've been given a mighty weapon. A mighty, mighty weapon. And God wanted to know, God wanted his people to know that, is, that when, they, when they praised him, when they acknowledged him, he came in like a flood. And he would go before them and defeat the enemy and cause chaos in the camp before they even got on the battlefield. And so, you know, again, this may be new teaching for, this is not something that is commonly taught in most churches. It really isn't. Matter of fact, I even find that even a lot of modern churches don't even, I might even talk to worship leaders and say, do you understand what you're really leading people to do while we're just worshiping the Lord? No, man. You're leading them into battle, brother. You're helping them to understand that when they praise God, when we lift him up, he draws all men to himself. That when we get to be, and when we open our mouths and we sing these songs, we're engaging our will, we're connecting with the Spirit of God, and we're moving that ball down the field, folks. We are absolutely terrorizing demons. Now, I don't know if you like that idea, but I sure do. I love the idea that when I start to praise him, they recoil in absolute disgust. They cannot handle it when the people of God begin to raise up. You know, part of the... the um, I remember it was the shout of the king was among them. When they heard the people of God shout out, they said, there's something more to that shout. There is victory in that shout. There is confidence in that shout. There is power in that shout. Well, they were hearing more than just the shout of people. They heard the king of kings among them. And folks, we need to let our voices be known. You know, it's no problem to people to go and shout for their favorite football team. It's no problem for us to get all excited and throw stuff and, and, and jump up and down when it comes to a basketball game or our favorite team or whatever it is, or a concert where we're just standing up. Oh, man, I couldn't believe I stood that whole time during that conference. How about you? Well, because you're engaged, because you're passionate, because you were enjoying it. Does God deserve less? See, before you think that all I'm talking about is, oh, well, he's just wanting us to, to be more exuberant worship. No. You can or you can't be. I'm just saying you're missing out on an opportunity to really fight, to really fight your battles by when you lift God up, you acknowledge him, you set it straight inside your own soul, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then the Holy Spirit rushes to that 
And he, the Holy Spirit, I mean, you're the one holding up the banner, right? You're saying you are Jehovah Nissi. When you hold up that single banner in your own life and say, right here is where we're going to form up for this spiritual battle. And the Holy Spirit will rush to it. Rush to it. He will gather on the presence of God. He will gather on faith. He will gather around the believer who says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It's wonderful stuff, folks. And I'm going to teach on it more. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31, it says this. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. And there are a lot of things that we can do to prepare for the different things in this life. And, and we try to do that. We try to do it with our money. We try to do it with our influence. We try to make ourselves more impressive. We try to become better with our words. But folks, I'm telling you, you, you try to fight the way the world fights. You try to engage with this world. It's very, very tough. You may win. You may not win. But when you ask, when you, when you know that every single day it is the presence of God that's going before you, it is God that is untangling, exposing the traps of the enemy. It is, the, it is God who is, who is going before you. Judah is going first and engaging the enemy. By the time you get on the field, it's already been done. It's already been done. So David, I like to call him the worshiping warrior. And I've talked about him before. But he sought the Lord before every battle. And he would ask that question, do we go up? Father, speak to us. Do we go up? And he got it. He would either tell him, yes, go up. Victory will be yours. Why? Because God's with them. Because God is. Now, let's look at the New Testament. We've been talking about the Old Testament it being that example. And in the New Testament, you don't find as much. But there, there are a couple of verses that, that, are, that are powerful. Obviously, Jesus showed us with his own example, that there would be spiritual warfare and spiritual victory. Check this out in Luke chapter 10, 17 through 20. It says, the 72 disciples returned from out being in, in out in ministry. They returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Who do they submit to? Them, the 72 disciples, submit to them. In other words, they were able to drive them out. They were able to influence the spiritual situation in Jesus' name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Don't worry about the snakes and scorpions. Don't try that. But the next part is important, and that is to overcome all the power of the enemy. How much power? All the power of the enemy. Not just, you know, just you know, a little bit of power. No, all of it. Every bit of every attempt of the enemy to fool you, to rob you, to you know, to deceive you. In Jesus' name, he says, I've given you authority, that exosia to be able to expose that and win. So there's Jesus teaching them that you can fight a spiritual battle. He says, look, yes, that, that, that's, that should be common experience for the Christian. He says, because I've given you authority. We talked about that last week. But what are we really talking about? We're talking about spiritual warfare, folks. And the reason why we don't see the whole send Judah, the reason why we don't is because Jesus is right there with them. 
He is the Ark of the Covenant. He is Judah being sent for. He is from the tribe of Judah. He, he is the type of David. He's a, and vice versa. Right there. Victory. He says, but however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So don't rejoice. Don't, don't rest on your laurels. And, and don't rejoice over the fact that, that, that demons will squirm and run from you. No, rejoice in the fact that you are children of God. Rejoice in that. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, we know that he teaches this wonderful teaching, and I don't have time tonight to even talk about it, just refer to it. But Paul constantly taught that the church is to fight the spiritual battles. And he, and he went so far as to say, look, you've got spiritual armor. And he described it with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. He said, you are armored up, and you can fight these battles. Now, folks, these may just be words for you tonight. But I'm telling you, in the context of where we are as a church, in the context of the things that you endure and what we see going on in the world today, you have a choice. You can either put on the armor and fight the fight and know that God is going to go before you and the battle belongs to him and victory is assured. Or you can sit there in the battle lines and just be frozen and paralyzed and not know what to do next. So here... A lot of times we don't fight spiritual battles for one reason or another. One, it's either we don't know we can or we know we can and we just don't choose to. Well, tonight we fixed that, didn't we? You know you can. The question is, do you choose to? Will you fight? Will you call in the presence of God? Will you acknowledge that the Lord is the Lord, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Will you move forward knowing that you've been given authority? Folks, we need to learn to get out of the way of ourselves. We really do. Because I think we trip up on ourselves when, when we get confused, when we get overwhelmed by the circumstances. But we need to understand that the battle is already done. And we forget, we, we defeat ourselves when we forget. Let me read from Colossians chapter 3. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Clothe yourselves with the hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive any complaint you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which is the bond of perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For to this you were called as members of one body and be thankful." You, you'll notice what Paul is saying here. Look, when it comes to the spiritual battle, we need to fall into peace and to trust God. And we don't need to beat up on one another. We do not need to tear one, one, one another down. No, no, no. We just got to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, not giving into fear, not giving into anxiety, but just to fall back into God's arms and to say, you know, he's got this. And one of the ways that we can do that, folks, right now, I'll tell you, is to worship Okay, so I'm going to go a little, farther, a little farther here and maybe mic drop just here, just for a second. And that is, folks, when you come here, don't come to it for a concert. Don't come to just listen to music. All we're doing is creating an environment for you to exercise your, your authority, to begin to step in, to acknowledge the presence of God 
and to throw your hands out, Yahuda, to then acknowledge the power of God in your life and see the spiritual battle won. Andrea was leading you into that tonight. He was, she was you know, saying, look, when you come into this room, I want you to take notice of all the different things. He, you know, doing an, uh, a soul inventory. And then what do you do with it? Well, you know, yeah, it was a pretty bad week. Yeah, too bad. And then just go home. Or can you take it before God? And can you, you know, say the battle belongs to him? Can you then let that be ground zero of where the battle is going to be today? And as you praise him and as you open your mouth and sing and as you adore him, you know, and this is not a man-woman thing. This is not a, you know, feminine-masculine thing. This is, you know, David is such a wonderful example to us, guys. Here he was, a, a, a tail whooper. He was a warrior. No one would ever question his, his, his power and his, and his you know, prestige as a king and as a man. But man, he was the first one to fall on his face before God. He was the first one to say, look, 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 we don't do a thing until we pray. We don't do a thing until we worship. Bring in, bring in the ephod. We're going we're, we're gonna to acknowledge God. And then David, when he became king, what did he do? He created a whole new segment of the Levites to just worship night and day. He said, look, this is the way it's going to be on my watch. I want worshipers worshiping God all the time because he deserves it. And I know my kingdom will be established when God is acknowledged. Folks, we need to learn to worship. We need to learn to praise. We need, when you come in here, you need to take those opportunities. When those words are up there, you need to personalize them. You need to sing them and send them out. Okay? Now, you may not sing really well at all. Well, just don't sing too loud. That's okay. You know, it's part of the reason why we play it so loud is so that we don't hear you. But anyway, I'm just kidding. You know? Some of you are like, thank you very much, Pastor David. I mean, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but then some of you just singing out, boy, and that's awesome. Go for it. And when you're singing, you're, you're acknowledging, aren't you? When you're singing, you're participating. But I don't want you to think that, that, that what I'm trying to say is, let's elevate this thing. Let me remind you what it is that you're actually doing. You're fighting a spiritual battle, folks. And you get, you're calling God into the middle of your, your life to fight this battle, to fight the battle of fear, to fight the battle of, of where's my next paycheck going to come from, fight the battle of whatever it is that you got going in your life, the things that are eating at the edges of your soul, or the, the, as Paul said, the, 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 the weight that so easily besets us, that we come in here with our chains and we let God cut them. We offload our shame. We've talked about that. But then we acknowledge God and we let him fight our battles. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when I worship him, I'm calling him in to the struggles that I know of going on in my life, the things that, that I've been praying about. Having the word of God and memorizing scripture, good. Need to do that. Praying and asking God to tear down and build up and bind and loose. Yes, you need to do that. But I'm telling you, praise and worship is, an, it is the most least talked about weapon in your arsenal. You may not even have known it, you had it. Now, again, a little mic drop moment. When I sit in the back sometimes, I'm just like, you know, I want to, be down the, I want to run up and down the aisles as a coach. Say, Come on! Sing! 
worship. What's wrong with you? You know, I did that. You know, I did that as a worship leader. I, I had my guitar up on the stage because Andrew and I got started that way. And I was sitting there, you know, you know, you know, I was doing CF&G and I was going for it. And I just stopped. You know, I just stopped. And I was like, hmm. what's wrong with you? I looked at all the people. I said, what's wrong with you? Michael, my pastor, was sitting up in the front row and he was just like, you know, play, get going. That well, was the last time I did that, but, but it was my heart. Because I was like, Christian, this is your chance. This is your chance to battle. And I'm leading you in. And I want you to win those battles. I want you to understand that when you honor him, when you lift him up, when you Yahuda, you're, you're, you are doing an incredible, powerful spiritual thing. You may not believe what I'm saying. I hope you do. I've given you very solid evidence from Scripture that that's exactly what takes place. Let's keep going on in that verse I was reading in Colossians. Um, He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen. Check the box. And as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, bemoaning what God has done or not done? No, with gratitude. What does that mean? With faith, believing that God is doing it. See, we have so much more than they even had as an early church. Man, they didn't even have guitars or drums. I don't even know what they did or how they did it. They probably just sang, you know, uh, just, you know, minor key, you know, atonal, monotonal songs as, as we would figure. But now, folks, we have the tremendous gift of music, and we have it all. And we can use this wonderful gift to just really honor God. And you know what? I really believe that heaven is absolutely filled with music. We're going to be blown away at the, at the, the, the melodies that we're going to hear. It is going to be what, uh, and, and music was a creation of God. But did you know that Satan, Lucifer, as he was once called, was the anointed cherub, and he was the worship leader? of heaven did you know that and so he can so he wants to because he knows the power of worship and music he wants to take that out of your mouth and well he's going to take music and he's going to twist it and turn it into twisted sisters and acdc's and all that kind of stuff so that now you're not praising god but you're praising evil see music and worship takes words takes the first two. It takes the words of God and the worship of your heart and drives that thing. Such a powerful thing that goes into your spirit and into your soul. I mean, this whole, anyway, I could teach all day, all day on the power of music and the power of worship and why you should be taking advantage of it. Why you should be singing and opening your mouth and letting that melody, taking these songs and singing them throughout the week, having music and worship playing in your car as you're driving back and forth to work, to have that playing in your, your, your AirPods while you're, while you're working or doing so, have worship. Be, just fill your life with worship and watch the Holy Spirit come rushing in into your life. In Psalm 145, this is so amazing, and I just love it. I love reading it because, you know, I taught from this for so many years. But this is King David's revelatory gift to you and me. 
So I'm just going to read this. I want you to soak it in. And I want you to take this as a challenge from David as he hands this to you. Because he talks about that handing off. Listen to this. He said, I will exalt you, my God and my king. Exalt. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will commend your works to the next. How do we do that? By worshiping, by teaching each other songs, by taking music and acknowledging God in front of our children. The most powerful thing, Dad, that you can do for your children is for them to watch you worshiping God. When they see you bending a knee, when they see you Yahuda, I'm telling you, they look at that and say, me too. And moms, wives, anyone. David is saying right here, from one generation to the next, it will be taught to acknowledge you. But why did David, why would we say David all in on this? Because he knew its power. And will proclaim your mighty acts, the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. So when we play a, a, a slow song, we're just deeply playing a chorus, you know, or a chord, that's your moment to meditate and say, God, you're so good. You're so good in my life. You, you acknowledge him. They will proclaim the power of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. How do we declare his greatness? Well, we can do that anywhere, but more than any place we can do it is right here when that first chorus gets, kicks in to acknowledge him. And mo you'll notice that most of the songs are written to give you an opportunity to exclaim that, to, to proclaim it, to sing it, and to engage your spirit, soul, and body in doing that. They're going to proclaim the power of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They will extol the fame of your abundant goodness and sing joyfully of your righteousness. Do we sing about his forgiveness enough? No, we don't. But when we do, we understand it, we believe it, we walk in it. And it reminds the devil, don't try to tell me about my sin. Don't jump on my back the moment I walk into church and make me feel condemned. Not going to do it. You might walk in the door feeling that, but you leave knowing that is not true. That you've been forgiven, washed in his blood by showing and acknowledging and thanking God for having done it. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. This is David. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. In other words, don't come walking in here mocking him, but come in here with a heart to acknowledge the Lord. And he says, he will come to you. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will declare the praise of the Lord. I'm not just going to think it. I'm not going to just be a quiet worshiper. I'm going to let God know. And I'm going to let all the principalities and powers know. Folks, you realize that. That by opening your mouth, the God-given, most powerful weapon that you've been given, read James chapter 3, the power of the tongue. When you use your tongue to praise God, you're whipping up on the enemy in a, in a, in a really powerful way. Very powerful way.
Folks, bottom line is this. You give power and place to whatever you worship. And you worship anything you give power and place to. Your saviors are your gods. Whatever you look to to save you. And, you know, I, <laughs> I mentioned a couple of things to Ben today, and he goes, Dad, that's savage, so I won't touch it. But whatever we acknowledge, maybe I will go a little savage. All right. Whatever. Oh, yeah, they're cheering me on now. Okay, so I do not take uh, um, responsibility for what I'm getting ready to say. You, you wanted it. All right. No, I, I'll, I'll take it easy on us. But we worship science. We worship what man has created. We worship the things that we think are protecting us. Why? Well, I don't worship. I don't sing songs about these things that man has created. I don't worship them. Yeah, you do. Because you give them power. You think that's what's protecting you. Well, I might as well write a song about it. Might as well write you a song. Well, you know, some people do. Rocky Mountain High. Some people do. But what we are worshiping is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we say everything bows down to him. And I will not put my trust. One generation to the next, I will acknowledge that my blessing comes from the Lord. My protection comes from the Lord. The battle belongs to him. And I'm not going to fight it. You know, the world, the man, what does it say? That some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but I will trust in the name of the Lord. And you can change whatever that says. You can put in, fill in the blank. I, I didn't do it. Not quite. I just said science. You know? But you just fill in the blank of what you have turned to. And my friend, that's your God. Now you may, we can argue about that all day long, but idolatry, my friends, is one of the most slippery, deceiving, life-stealing sin that Christians experience. You want to destroy it? Do you? Then worship the Lord. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Lift him up. You know, if child can, children can do it, and you know the Bible says if we don't, that even the rocks will cry out. If we don't, let's not let the rocks win. I'll, even though I'd love to see a rock cry out, but <laughs> still, we need to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We need to lift him up, folks. And again, this is not just a spiritual exercise. This is war. This is fighting the battles in my own head. These are fighting the battles over my family. These are fighting the battles over my community. You realize this? I mean, we need to remind ourselves that every time we walk in on a Thursday night or on Sunday, and the moment we strike up those chords and we begin to worship the Lord, Satan is pushed back. Even for a time, he is absolutely recoils in fear. And he absolutely it shudders in fear to think that any church would ever rise up and realize just who we are and why worship is so important and why in lifting him up. And we all walk out there like David and saying, what's going on here? Why are you paralyzed? Why are you all sitting there? Why are you letting that creep boy here, come out here and defame the name of the Lord? Mm -mm. I worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Lord, come and rally upon the worshiper. 
Man's weather, what are some of the other things I'm talking about? There's man's ways and revelations, man's philosophies and discoveries, the workarounds, all the things that we've created to replace God. God's ways work, and it begins with sending Judah first. It begins letting the ark and the presence of God go before my life. I am seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Look, there, look, there's nothing in your life that is not in that all these things. Whether it's a pandemic, oh, God didn't know about pandemics, give me a break. There was a pandemic, several of them, and how did they stop the one that broke out among them? They took the bronze servant, ser- serpent and they elevated it. And it was a picture of Jesus being lifted up. It's a prophetic uh, you know, type of Christ that took place there. And then it stopped. Folks, could it be this simple? To just send you to first, to just praise him, to fight in that way? Folks, we need to learn how to throw our hands out in praise and become the worshiping warriors we've been made and created to be. By acknowledging God's presence and worshiping with outstretched arms, you invite the power and victory of God into your life. We're not talking about a victory that is yet to happen. We're talking about a victory that has already happened. It's just not been realized in our lives yet. But it ain't going to happen for somebody over there who is not expecting it. It's not going to happen to the person who says, well, no, I'm not going to send you to first, and I'm not going to, certainly not going to follow the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to go that way. And God says, no, do it my way, and you will succeed. You guys see it tonight? I hope you do. Amen. Let's stand up tonight. Let's pray. Lord, part of me wishes that, God, we could just bust down into an awakened night of worship right now and just put feet to our faith. But we're going to have plenty of opportunities to do that. We will have plenty. But, Lord, first of all, God, would you forgive us? Lord, for our acknowledging of anything else that would ever supplant you in our confidence. Lord, I'm not talking about being unwise and the things. No, these things that science and man have given us, in many ways, Lord, they're gifts, but they never will replace you. Never. Lord, as we worship you, then we see their value. But Lord, if we forget you, often these things, God, let they rob us of our joy. And they may never even accomplish what it is that you can do. Man has five smooth stones, but it's you who drives them. It's you, Lord, who brings down the giant. The world and the enemy may come at us with a sword and shield, but Lord, we come at at the enemy in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus and our confidence in our God. Lord, how are we, as the church of the living God, to respond in such times? Lord, do we become an organization? Or do we remain the organism of faith that we're created to be? Do we need a building? No. 
we just need you. Where two or three of us are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. When we come together and lift you up, you do amazing things. Lord, I'm praying and even want to declare tonight that God, from these days forward, that God, the praise that comes up Lord, from the mouths and hearts of your people, Lord, would be so astounding, would be so earth-shattering, so spirit-moving, that it would be like a plow in the spirit over our, these communities that we love so much. Because, Lord, what we, the work we do in here changes what happens out there. In our lives, through our lives, around our lives. Lord, help us to open our mouths and to speak it. Lord, let us take that wonderful baton from David, who said from one generation to the next, to acknowledge the Lord. It's our, it's our time. And may we continue to do it. And Lord, may we never, may we, may we have to be told, you know what, you, you need to stop singing now. Lord, may the praise of God be on our lips, always. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room tonight, God, that they would be commissioned. Commissioned. You are commissioned tonight for a new level of spiritual warfare. You have been equipped. You now know what, you've been, what has been put in your mouth. Praise him. Acknowledge him. Send Judah first. Throw out your hands in exclamation. He is the Lord. And we thank you tonight. Lord, we know you're going to do it. We look forward, God, to the, the victories and the, the healings. And Lord, the darkness fleeing in the light and of the worship and of the praise and exaltation of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, folks.